This is the last Sunday after Epiphany, and just as Epiphany begins the season with an Epiphany, we always end the Epiphany season with an Epiphany, which is a manifestation of the presence of God. So every year on this Sunday, we read one of the Synoptic Gospels' versions of the story of the Transfiguration of Christ. It affords the opportunity for the church to celebrate this twice. We always do it on the last Sunday after Epiphany, and then the Transfiguration, the Feast of the Transfiguration proper, is on August the 6th. So we have the opportunity to speak about God's transformative work in the hearts of all faithful people and our understanding that we have a role somehow uh, to play in the transformation of the cosmos. We count in big and small ways. So this morning I want to preach on all of the readings, the reading from Exodus, the reading from 1 Corinthians, and then Luke's version of the story of the transfiguration and see what we might gain uh, from that. I probably shouldn't say this in, the, in a sermon in church, but every time I read this reading from Exodus, I'm reminded of a class I took in seminary called Biblical Preaching. And it was taught by one of our classmates who was a Methodist minister who had come to Neshota House to be Anglicanized. <laughs> so he put a, a year in to become part of the Anglican culture. So we had a class on biblical preaching, and uh, Alan Farabee was his name, and he taught so many interesting things that I've still put to good use. But we had a game that we used to play where someone would, uh, out of the blue, point to one of the other members of the class and mention a word, a subject, and you had to come up with a text to preach on it from the Bible. So one day we were all in there kind of getting a little sleepy, like the disciples today, the three apostles up on the mountain, uh, heavy with sleep. It was always after lunch, this class. And one of my classmates stood up and pointed at another one and said, Constipation! <laughs> and he stood up and said, And my text is, After Moses came down from the mountain with the two tablets. <laughs> So there are some people who are infinitely resourceful. <laughs> this is kind of a mysterious story because there seem to be some conflicts, and I don't want to get into a huge, big biblical thing about this, but the story is about someone who has been in the presence of God, in this case, Moses, for 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments on the two tablets, and he comes before the people of Israel and his face is shining. His face has been transformed. And <clears throat> the people who see him understand that he has been in God's presence. And instead of feeling 
awed by this in the sense of this must be an authentic experience of God reaching to the people, they are frightened. They are frightened because it is also, and you've read, heard this read in the Hebrew Bible, no one who has seen God lives. So here's Moses with his face shining. So he waits and he speaks to them about his experience. And then because the people are worried and anxious and nervous and fearful, he puts a mask on. And so in their presence, they cannot see his face. They cannot see the transformation that has taken place in Moses. And they feel, I suspect, more comfortable because it's a little bit too much to handle. So we hear in the story that Moses uh, takes the mask off when he goes into the tent of meeting that the people of Israel have set up, which is where God is present in their view. So when he goes, on, goes in to speak and be with God, he takes the mask off. And when he comes out, he puts the mask back on. Now, there's some contradictions and conflicts in this story. And I don't want to get into it, but merely to explain to you that this is a perfect example of why people need to be a student of the Bible. Because you have put side by side two distinct Sinai traditions about Moses and the mask, and how it's worn, and why it's worn. But for us, the takeaway is, being in the presence of God should not and is not an occasion to be frightened only. Paul is going to take this, and he's going to speak about uh, his own concerns with the people of Israel, and how he understands the law. And who must keep the law? And he would, he would use the metaphor that the law for the people of Israel has unfortunately constituted for them a mask that they have put over their minds and their hearts with regard to the way in which God is present to the world. And that because of his own transformative experience, his own conversion, he has come to the belief and the realization that what is saving is not the law, but belief in Christ. And that Christ now becomes a replacement. It allows the mask to come off and us to begin to see our vocation clearly. What is God's purpose for us and how can each of us participate in God's transformative power and become the church? Paul would say that one of the ways we do that is through our baptism. And we will see as we begin the season of Lent that a theme that will run through the whole of the six weeks of Lent is the revivification of our baptismal promises and of the relationship that exists for us to encounter God on a regular basis, we believe this is Episcopalians, through the sacramental system, through baptism, through the Eucharist, through the other sacraments of the church. They are encounters with Christ on a regular basis. And we understand the sacraments to have transformative power. And I mean by that what you hear me say all the time when, for example, maybe there's a period where you don't necessarily, but when you come to church and you leave and you say to yourself, I feel better, 
I feel something like my spirit has been, you know, in, in a way revived. And I feel more ready to face the weak. I feel equipped. I'm able to do that. So when we speak about this, we don't speak just about uh, religious things only. N.T. Wright said uh, in a commentary on this particular passage when he speaks about Paul's relationship and understanding of the church being connected to this transformative power and the clarity that Christian people receive by virtue of their faith in Christ, that the church is the single multi-ethnic family promised by the Creator God to Abraham. It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. It was energized by God's Spirit and it was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. So what he's talking about there are the middle bits that we're going to begin to focus on in a while. What's between the birth and fast forward to Jesus' arrest, trial, death, resurrection, and ascension? What's going to come in the middle? And how is God's transformative justice going to work in the world? And what role and part do you have to play in big and small ways in making that so? Not somewhere else. Here. So we go now to the transfiguration story. And I want to talk, preach a little bit about it, but I, uh, what happened and how we understand that. And then say a, a few things to you about... Uh, mountaintop experiences and the, um, the idea that many of us have today that we need to have dramatic spiritual experiences for us uh, to really know that uh, we're connected to God and how do we understand that. So in this story, Jesus is on the mountain with John, James, and Peter and they go up to the mountain and Jesus is transformed in front of them. Father Thomas Keating says, The divine source of his human personality poured out through every pore of his body in the form of light. Now what he's talking about there is something that the Eastern Orthodox Church talks about a lot. And it's known as the uncreated light. And it's something that we can see in other people when their faces shine, when they have uh, a look on their face that, that leads you to believe and understand that they have been listening to the still small voice that comes from within that they know is not their own. In the early 1970s, I came back to San Francisco from seminary to attend the Trinity Conference, Trinity West. Uh, Trinity Church, Wall Street, has, it's a very fortunate thing for them, by the way. Trinity Church, Wall Street, is on property that was given to them by Queen Anne. And as it turns out, it's right at Wall Street and Broad Street in New York. So they have perhaps one of the largest endowment funds of any Episcopal church for sure and many other churches and other denominations. So the rector of Trinity Wall Street goes to work every day in a 10-story office building. They sponsor the Trinity Conference 
And this year I went back and one of the people, well, two interesting people, one you may have seen on TV, Jim Wallace, the uh, evangelical uh, guy. He's on MSNBC from time to time. And he married uh, an Episcopal priest who was English and her character, she was part of the development of the character, the Vicar of Dibley. But the person I'm going to talk about is Brother Roger Schultz of the Teze community, one of the founders. And he was there and, and uh, made a presentation. And uh, during a break, one of my colleagues said to me, would you like to go meet F Brother F Roger? And I said, yeah. So I remember he brought me into a, a small waiting room where the presenters were, and he introduced me to Brother Roger, and I looked at him and saw what I have just described. I saw the uncreated light. I saw a person completely at home with himself. What's frightening about that? Do you have any idea? I don't know. I've thought and thought and thought about it. And uh, I hope we can always remember that we're inspired and we don't think uh, somebody has gone off the rails because they have a look like that. It may be really the power of the Spirit of God. So Jesus and the apostles are there. They see him transformed. And we now uh, have another thing that occurs. The mountaintop experience. Peter, who I have always looked at as every man in the New Testament. He says, you know, it's a good thing we're here. We need to build three booths. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What does that mean? It means I want to freeze this experience so that it lasts forever and I dwell only in the emotional and mental exhilaration that I have when I have been here. So I want it to last forever and don't we all want to last those, those experiences to last for us? Because the real challenge to the spiritual life, the real challenge to the development of a mature uh, humanity flows out of the ability to see that these experiences do not last forever. And what do we do as we move forward in our lives? You know, most everybody has had one of some kind, even if it was for a nanosecond. But these experiences do not sort of regularly return to most people. And as a result of that, it's very easy for us to believe that we have been deserted by God. I really prefer most the account of the transfiguration, not in Mark or in Luke, but in Matthew. Because in Matthew's gospel, they all enter the cloud after the transformation, the, 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 the transfiguration. And the disciples, as it says today, are afraid. They are terrified. And in Matthew's gospel, they fall to the ground. 
And Jesus, at that moment, comes to each of them and says, and touches them, and says, do not fear. Do not fear. And so this experience really is not about being terrified or knocked off your pins with a big spiritual experience. It's, I can experience this and not fear. And I know that I can allow the best of my own character to shine through and to influence people in such a way as to have a good and transformative effect and more to the point to allow myself to be transformed by others who express back and reflect back to me that character. So this week, give thanks for the transformative power of God and Christ. Give thanks for the potential to be transformed in big and small ways. Remind yourself that you are necessary for the accomplishment of God's purposes for the cosmos, essential to that enterprise. And as you enter the season of Lent, as we begin Ash Wednesday, think about the power of the sacramental life to sustain us during these processes. It's a, it's a wonderful gift, and the sacraments do have transformative power. Amen.